0: We've been traveling through the book of Acts here in our our message time. And today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9. And this chapter uh, records perhaps one of the most significant events in the history of the early church. Perhaps second only to to the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. A few other events have changed the course of history uh, or or Christianity's for sure. But even history uh, like the event that we're about to read today. Uh, Today we're going to read about how a man named Saul came to know and follow Jesus. And while his story is going to seem uh, pretty, pretty dramatic and pretty uh, unusual out of the ordinary, still the things that he experienced and the process that he went through bringing him to faith in Christ are actually very similar for all of us who come to acknowledge Christ as our savior. There's a certain pattern, uh, a sequence of events that happens uh, for any of us to experience God's salvation. And of course, the exact details in in the the timeline and how it all unfolds is gonna be different for all of us. But still, the the process and the pattern are are the same for how God uh, brings us to to have salvation. And so even before we get into the passage today, I'm actually gonna kind of jump ahead and I'm gonna give you the the four-point pattern of salvation that we're gonna see in this passage. That way, as we go through Saul's story, you can maybe reflect and and look at your own life and see if you can see those same four points uh, in your story. So really quickly, before we get started, here's here's those four points. Uh, Number one. Jesus Christ reveals himself to you. Now, in Saul's case, this is quite a dramatic reveal, but that may not be the case for you. Uh, Sometimes uh, it might be a lot more subtle. Um, However, either way, Christ makes himself known to you and he calls you to respond. Number two. You respond by acknowledging Jesus as the resurrected son of God. Uh, this is when you begin to see Jesus for who he really is. There's a, there's a recognition and an acknowledgement in your life that, that wasn't there before. Number three, having acknowledged who Jesus really is, you willingly submit your life to him and you seek to be obedient to him. You know, as your Lord and Savior, uh, there really is no other logical course of action for you but to serve and obey him. And then number four, as a result of your trust in Christ and your willingness to be obedient to him, God begins the process of total transformation. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you, changing you into a new person. You're adopted into the family of God, becoming one of his uh, sons or daughters, and you begin to live a new life. Now, of course, as I said before, the the exact details and the timeline and how this all unfolds is going to look differently for every one of us. But it's that same process and pattern that we see in the story that we're going to look at today with through Saul. And I think we can probably identify that in our lives as well. So on that note, let's take a look at the story of Saul and just see how this all plays out in his experience. But before we do that, let's pause here and pray and ask God to teach us something new from his word this morning. Dear God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather once again with friends and family. Uh, family, God, because you've adopted us into your family. God, we're so uh, privileged to be able to gather here uh, amongst family, family that we will be uh, with for eternity. And we thank you for that. So we pray that as we look at your word this morning, that you would speak to us as we uh, look at the life uh, and the story of Saul. We pray that uh, we would be encouraged and and spurred on or or whatever it is that needs to happen in our hearts, God, we invite you to, to make that happen. May we respond properly to those things that you say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, just before we begin into the story of Saul today in our passage, I just want to recap a little bit what we've already been told about Saul. Uh, Back in Acts chapter seven, you'll recall that we read about the stoning of Stephen, the very first Christian martyr. He he was the first person who was put to death for his faith in Jesus. Um, But Acts chapter seven, verse 58 tells us that as his accusers dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, his accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul all right so that's the first time that we're introduced to this Saul fellow he's a young man present at the stoning of Stephen uh, apparently in charge of watching over their coats as they take the stones that are gonna murder Stephen but he's not just a a random bystander who just happened to be there Uh, actually a little further on in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 we read that Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen all right, so not only was, was Saul witnessing this, this whole gruesome event as it unfolded, but he was in hearty agreement with it. Right? He agreed completely that Stephen ought to have died for his faith in Christ. And, and you might wonder, well, well, what kind of a person would, would agree heartily that such a man should die like that? Well, we actually get a, a good description of this Saul fellow uh, from himself. Actually, he, later he writes in Philippians 3, he writes this about himself. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So in other words, Saul was just about as religious as they come. You know, as a Pharisee, he was devoted to to obeying just the the smallest letter of the law. And he was sure that his careful, careful obedience to the Torah and his zeal to make sure that everyone else did as well. That is what's going to earn him his reward in heaven. And so since Stephen was, was promoting this, this false teacher named Jesus, uh, 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 A blasphemer who had already been put to death on a cross for for claiming to be the son of God. Well, Saul figured he would just do God this great favor and put this sinner, Stephen, to death. In fact, after killing Stephen, Saul made it his life's mission, really, to eradicate all those who would follow this this Jesus fellow. Uh, Acts 8.1 continues by saying, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. right, so Saul was was dedicated to eradicating the church. And I have no doubt that Saul was fully convinced that he was doing the Lord's work. You know, just like how, how Joshua and King David, they were doing the work of the Lord by wiping out God's enemies. Saul must have believed that he was doing the work of the Lord by wiping out the church in this present time. And so as the followers of Jesus fled Jerusalem, uh, of course, preaching the gospel everywhere they went, uh, Saul continued to hunt them down, uh, even following them to the other cities where they were to arrest and imprison and put them to death. And and that's about where we pick up our story today now. Uh, We're starting in Acts chapter 9, verse one, which reads like this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest, He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now, there's just a a couple quick little notes that I want to make here. Uh, First of all, you'll notice that Saul's going to Damascus to arrest any followers of the way. Uh, This is actually the first uh, of five times in Acts that we read that the followers of Jesus are being called followers of the way. Uh, in the next few chapters, actually, we're going to see how they, they first get called Christians or Christ ones. But for now, uh, initially, they were called followers of the way, which I think is quite a, quite a fitting title. Uh, after all, Jesus said himself in, in John 14, 6, Jesus uh, told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You know, throughout his entire ministry on earth, Jesus was very clear that he was the only way to the father, right? He, he's not one of many ways. He is the way. He's the only way that we can experience forgiveness and, and peace and joy and true life, right? Uh, there's no other way to experience those things. Uh, and so I think it's fitting that even those who persecuted those early followers, uh, they referred to them as followers of the way, right? There's a, there's a real nugget of truth, even just in that title. The second thing to notice here is that Saul was so intent on chasing down these followers of Jesus that he was preparing to hunt them down even in foreign countries. Uh, He says uh, he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. Now the city of Damascus was actually in the neighboring country of Syria. It was about 200 kilometers away from Jerusalem. But yet, Saul was so determined to to eradicate every follower of Jesus Christ that he was willing to to travel all the way to Damascus, arrest all the Christians there, and then bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. And it's interesting that Luke actually specifies for us that that Saul wanted to arrest both men and women. You know, in that culture, women were not usually the most influential people, right? They they weren't the the movers and the shakers of that time. And and so for Saul to target both the men and the women, I think it really shows his, his intent to absolutely wipe out, you know, anyone who might continue to spread this message of Jesus. However, as Saul makes his way to Damascus, it's here that God intervenes and he changes the course of Saul's life forever. So let's take a look. Verse three, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, so far as we've gone through the book of Acts, we have seen thousands of people come to know and trust Christ. But so far that we've seen, none of them have experienced such a dramatic shock to the system and a shock to their system of beliefs. Um, but then again, perhaps no one needed it quite like Saul did. Uh, as we've seen in his intense desire to to eradicate the, the followers of the way uh, his system of beliefs were built around the fact that, that Jesus was a, was a liar. He, he was a fraud, a false teacher. And he didn't just believe that a little bit, right? He was absolutely convinced. He had a rock solid conviction that, uh, that it was so. Everything in his life and everything that he experienced up until this point uh, had reinforced that Jesus was the enemy of God. And so I imagine it probably took such a drastic and shocking introduction to Jesus, to uh, the the resurrected son of God, for him to to break down that old system of belief. You know, verse nine tells us that he remained in Damascus for three days, being blind, and he didn't eat or drink anything. I imagine, it doesn't really say this specifically, but I imagine he spent those days trying to rebuild his system of beliefs. Because if Jesus truly was the son of God, Well, that would change everything, right? He would have to change his whole understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. He'd have to change his understanding of who God was and what God was doing in the world today. He'd have to change his ideas of how to serve and please God. And of course, that would certainly impact his current life mission of eradicating the church. Everything he thought he knew was wrong. And then just think of the the guilt and the the regret that he'd have to process during that time. I mean, think already of the lives that he'd destroyed uh, by dragging men and women off to prison, having them killed. I mean, uh, and then the fact that he was fighting against God, the one that he was so zealously serving for him to realize all this time he'd been fighting against God. I cannot imagine the the turmoil in Saul's mind over those three days. And I'm sure well into the weeks after that, as Saul tried to to come to grips with with everything that had just happened. But of course, in his kindness and his grace, Jesus didn't come just to, just to convict Saul of his, his stupidity and sin. You know, it just didn't appear to Saul just to condemn him for persecuting the church and then you know, leave him to, to languish in sorrow and blindness. No, God had a redemptive plan for Saul, just like he does for each one of us. Now God had a plan for forgiveness and mercy, a plan for a new life, a new purpose. Take a look at the next three verses. It says in, in verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to Kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, this really is incredible. I mean, what a plan of restoration. The very man responsible for the imprisonment and the murder of many of the followers of Jesus was God's chosen instrument to bring the gospel basically to the rest of the world. You know, who would have thought of such a thing? Certainly not Ananias. I mean, Ananias had heard all about this Saul fellow. I think it was Saul was probably quite infamous at that time. Uh, and he had heard that Saul was on his way to Damascus and he had the authorization of the leading priest to arrest everyone who, who called upon the name of the Lord. You know, and it's almost kind of comical that Ananias feels it necessary to remind the Lord what a dangerous person Saul was, you know, as if maybe God had become confused or made a mistake somewhere. But there was no mistake. God had made it quite clear to Ananias that he knew full well who Saul was, but perhaps more importantly, he knew who Saul would become. You know, Saul, of all the people on the planet, was God's chosen instrument to bring his gospel message to the Gentiles, to kings, and to his people, Israel. And so with that confirmation from the Lord, Ananias obeyed God's instructions and he headed off to Straight Street. Uh, We read about that in verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. You know, what an, an incredible and an immediate transformation, you know, from a, from a murderous zealot hunting down the believers, the followers of the way, to being a, a, just an, an impassioned evangelist preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. You know, all that, that transformation, it was so incredible that everyone had a, a pretty hard time believing it. Uh, actually, verse 21 says, all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus's followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the other believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him on, sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. What a, a crazy story. And this is just the beginning of what God would do through Saul, who, of course, would become known as Paul, uh, over the next many years, Paul would travel to to many different countries, preaching and, and starting churches in many different cities. In fact, he'd go on to write letters to some of those churches, as we were just hearing about, and to some different individuals that he administered to. And, and those letters have since become a, a significant part of our Bibles today. Like no less than 13 of the 27 books in our New Testament were written by this guy, Paul, or as he used to be, Saul. You know, very few people have influenced christianity like this man who at one time was going around breathing out murderous threats eager to imprison or kill the followers of the lord you know if god can can transform a guy like saul imagine what he could do with a man or a woman like you you know i I know most of us don't have a a dramatic conversion story quite like saul but as i mentioned earlier while saul's experience may be uh you know a little dramatic a, a little unique still that the process that he went through to come to faith in, in and then be transformed through christ is the same for us really you, you remember that that four point pattern of salvation that i mentioned at the beginning it might make a little bit more sense now that we've talked through a few things uh the first step was that jesus christ reveals himself to you now as we've seen in saul's story sometimes it's quite a quite a dramatic revelation but of course, that may not be the case in everyone's situation. Uh, for some of us, you know, we, we grew up in a Christian home and we, we learned about Jesus from a very young age. That's, that was certainly my story. Uh, or maybe you, you heard about Jesus from a, a friend or, or the preacher or, or a Bible camp or a Bible study or something like that. Right? Not such a dramatic introduction, but nonetheless, through that, the Lord revealed himself to you and he calls you to respond. And that may even be happening now as we speak today, you know, after we've we've uh, sung these songs and we've read through these scriptures, we've spent some time in prayer, perhaps even today God is, is calling you to respond to who he is and what he's done for you. Um, and if that's the case, then I would strongly urge you to respond uh, by acknowledging Jesus as the resurrected son of God, which of course is the second step that we talked about. You know, Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. You know, I think that seems to be just what Saul did as he was, you know, sitting there blinded by that light on the road to Damascus, asking, who are you, Lord? Right? And when Jesus responded, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, I believe at that moment, Saul believed that Jesus is Lord, that he really was the risen son of God. You know, all of his earlier beliefs about Jesus being this, this false teacher. I think he, he threw those right out the window at that point, And he was convinced that Jesus was the resurrected son of God. And, and I just wonder this morning, have you come to that same conclusion? Have you come to truly believe that Jesus is Lord and that he is the, the, the son of God that uh, died on a cross and rose again from the grave for your sins? Because when you come to realize exactly who Jesus is and what he's done for you, well, the only logical step is to submit your life to him and seek to be obedient to to anything that he directs you to do. And that's the third step. You you want to serve him and obey him with your whole life. You know, we see the first hint of that in Saul's story uh, as he obediently goes to Damascus to wait further instructions, right? God had said, go to Damascus and you'll be told what to do. And so Saul went. But we see even further evidence of his obedience when Saul becomes baptized. Uh, you might have noticed as Ananias lays his hands on him so that Saul can regain his sight. We read in verse 18, it says, Instantly, instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Now, I find it pretty interesting that Saul didn't even eat anything until after he was baptized, right? The scales fell from his eyes. Then he went and got baptized only after that, he went and he ate something to regain his strength, even though he hadn't eaten anything for, for three days. Uh, it was so important to him to be obedient to the Lord by taking this step of, of uh, baptism, showing his, his submission and his obedience to the Lord. Um, and, and this would only be the, the first step of obedience for Saul in a, in a lifetime journey of obedience. Even though that journey of obedience would cause Saul to be terribly persecuted and he would suffer a great deal. You'll, you'll recall that uh, the Lord had even forewarned him of all this. He, um, when Ananias was uh, being spoken to by God, God said to him, And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake you know, and and suffer, Saul did. In fact, even before this uh, chapter is through two times, Saul's life is threatened already, right? And and that would continue for the rest of his life. But he had gone from being the persecutor to being the persecuted, which I think speaks for the, the dramatic transformation that God did in his life, which of course then is the fourth step in our salvation. You know, as a result of our trust in God, God begins the process of total transformation, right? The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, changing us into a new person. We're adopted into the family of God uh, and we begin to live a new life. Uh, I don't know if you noticed when uh, Ananias greeted Saul back in verse 17, but he says, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your strength and be filled with the Holy Spirit, All right? He calls him brother Saul, no longer, you know, feared enemy, But brother Saul, he he had been adopted into the same family as Ananias. Both were brothers in the family of God. And what's more, Saul was then filled with the Holy Spirit. God himself came to to dwell within Saul, transforming him from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You know, and I think as I look out, I think there's a lot of people who could give testimony to that in their own lives, that when they became a Christian, they chose to follow Christ. God transformed them into a brand new person. You know, that was certainly the case for Saul. He became a brand new person with a, a brand new identity and a brand new purpose in life. I mean, he even got a, a brand new name, right? Went from Saul to being Paul, but he would spend the rest of his days instead of persecuting the church, but he would spend his days building the church, preaching the good news to anyone who would listen. You know, what a a testimony to the, to the goodness and the power of God to transform a life. And so just as we close this morning, I I just kind of want to leave you with that kind of a a similar thought. You know, have you experienced that, that total life transformation that comes from knowing and trusting in Jesus? You know, has God been revealing himself to you recently, Uh, maybe in a a dramatic or, or maybe a more subtle way? Have you acknowledged that Jesus is the risen son of God, Have you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that he is Lord? Have you made that choice to submit your whole life to him and to obey him no matter what the cost? And if not, I encourage you to do that today. Now, God is is calling you not to condemn you, but to forgive you and to transform you into a new person. He wants to adopt you into his family as his son or daughter. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit, transforming you into a new person, giving you a new purpose and a new identity. But the question that remains for each one of us is this, how will you respond to his call? Dear God, again, we thank you so much for your kindness and your goodness to us. Not one of us deserves any kind of of mercy or forgiveness, but yet you freely bestow that upon all of us. Who accept the gift that you've given us God we think of Saul and the life that he lived um, previous to meeting you God he, he didn't deserve any of that but yet God what a transformation how you took and and you just used him in some incredible ways God, I pray that that would be true of us. Uh, perhaps you, you don't see fit for, for us to, to share the, the gospel across the, the globe, but God, may we just receive your forgiveness and mercy at the very least. Uh, you offer that to each one of us, and I pray that if there's anyone here who's yet to accept that uh, into their life, uh, to accept you into their life, uh, that they would make that choice today Uh God, be with us as we go into our week. Keep reminding us of these things that we've read. Keep stirring them in our hearts, uh, reminding us of your, your kindness and your goodness to us, uh, and then helping us uh, all return here next week to, to hear more from what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.